Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the 32nd Annual Acer Radio Awards! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and otaku of all ages, welcome to another episode of ASO Radio. In a surprising move, we've actually managed to go and get out another episode. I know it was an unexpected twist of fate that nobody could have seen coming, but nonetheless, here we are. So what's in store for episode 126 of ASO Radio? Well, this week we've got lots of anime news, a surprising amount actually, I think even more than last week. We're going to follow that up with, I think, two different anime reviews. We'll just have to wait and see on that. And at this point, the hot spot is a surprise for all of us. But before then, of course, we'll have some fan mail to read on the air. So sit back, grab some pake, pop open a bottle of Ramune, and let's get started with a new episode. Anybody out there like the old Final Fantasy games or Vampire Hunter D? Well then, you're in for some good news. The Super Fraud... Uh, super Fraud? <laughs> oh man, I'm not even going to edit that out. That's just too funny. The Super Frog Gallery Inside New People, a culture exchange entertainment center in San Francisco's Japantown neighborhood, is hosting the return of Yoshitaka Amano's Deva Loco USA exhibition from April 24th through May 8th. Amano designed or illustrated the Final Fantasy game series, the Vampire Hunter D novels and anime video, the experimental film Angel's Egg, the seminal superhero team anime Gachaman, and many other classics. The art in the exhibition highlights American comics, culture, automobiles, and other influences that inspired Amano as a child. Earlier Deva Loca expositions had opened in Berlin in 2008 at New People's Own Opening Week festivities in August 2009 in Los Angeles in February. In March, Amano announced that he is directing his first anime film called Zon for worldwide release next year. To that end, he established his own production studio, Studio uh, Deva Loca. Amano coined the name Devaloka from a phrase that means the place where gods assemble. Because, I, I guess, you know, Mount Fuji was taken, or or uh, Mount Olympus taken, so Devaloka, people, Devaloka. Next, in sad news, Carl uh, Masick died back on April 17th, and his memorial was held on May 1st. Who was Carl Masick? Well, he was a legendary man of early anime, and was responsible for the release of the popular and well-known Robotech. And to uh, announce his passing away, Harmony Gold took out full-page ads in the April 23rd issue of Daily Variety, and the April 25th issue of the Los, Ch Los Angeles Times newspaper. The Robotech.com website has posted tributes from several people in the American industry. But, though the news is sad, we must move on. Carl Masick, wherever you are, thanks for all the good work that you did. Next up, the New York Times manga bestseller list. I'm not going to bore everybody with all the rankings here, because they're all relative, but... Let's rock, shall we? 
The New York Times newspaper has listed the manga bestsellers in the U.S. for the week ending April 24th. Young C. Kim's graphic novel adaptation of Twilight dropped to number two on the separate hardcover graphic novel list after five straight weeks at number one. What else is on there? Rosario and Vampire Season 2 number one. Yotsuba number eight. A great series. Naruto number 47. It's already been going for ten years, people. Spice and Wolf number one, Black Butler number one, The Gentleman's Alliance Cross number eleven, Yu-Gi-Oh R number four, Night School number three, Ellis in the Country of Hearts number one, and Soul Eater number two. Does anyone out there like Gundam? Well, if you live near San Francisco, now's your opportunity. The Viz Cinema Theater in San Francisco's Japantown will be showing the Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam movie trilogy and the first installment of the Mobile Suit Gundam UC video series on May 16th as part of its Sci-Fi Anime Madness program during the month of May. Bandai Entertainment has slated the Zeta Gundam compilation movie trilogy for a DVD release in June. Also showing during May is Royal Space Force, a.k.a. Wings of Omnis, on May 17th and 18th. Evangelion 1.0, you are not alone as long as you keep buying our merchandise, on May 15th, 17th, and 18th. And the Ghost in the Shell movie, in the original and updated 2.0 versions, on May 19th. Viz Cinema will be showing the third and final installment in the live-action film adaptation of Naoki Urasawa's 20th Century Boys, on uh, manga on May 20th. The film will be released on DVD June 1st. The theater had already announced that it would be hosting the American premiere of The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya, the first ever movie in the Haruhi Suzumiya franchise from May 21st to May 5th. The Disappearances, of course, was about the disappearance of new episodes. Next, we've got some new online streaming news. The North American anime distributor Funimation has posted more free episodes on its own website and on YouTube and Hulu websites this past weekend. Among the new episodes posted are the first four dubbed episodes of Witchblade and X, the first episode of the previously announced simulcast of the Tatami Galaxy. Funimation also announced on its blog on Thursday that the PlayStation Network Home Theater is playing the first episode of the original Full Metal Alchemist anime series from April 29th to May 6th. I'll go through all of the anime that they're playing, because, well, you can just check that out for your own on OnePieceOfficial.com, Funimation.com, YouTube.com slash Funimation, and Hulu. However, the Anime Network has noted on its blog that the entire 24-episode dub series of Clannad is now available on iTunes for $1.99 per episode, or $39.99 US for the entire series. The first dubbed episode of the series is also available on the PlayStation Network, abbreviated PSN, for $1.99 US. The Anime Network will be adding new episodes of Clannad to the PlayStation Network every Tuesday. The following episodes are also now streaming on the company's website. Whole bunch of stuff. Next, the North American anime distributor Viz Media also revealed on Monday that Honey and Clover Season 2 is now available on iTunes. Anime on DVD notes that Viz Media has begun streaming the first previously unreleased English subtitled of the Hikaru no Go anime. Viz Media stopped releasing Hikaru no Go on DVD in 2007 and it left off with episode 45. Toonami Jetstream did stream the series with English dubbing before Cartoon Network ended the Toonami Jetstream last year. Moving on to our next story. Nothing to do with streaming. On Twitter, the following was posted by Robert Woodhead, CEO of Animigo. It is with deep regret... Okay. 
No Elmer Fudd was harmed in the making of this twit, tweet post. It is with deep regret. Oh my god. I'm having an attack of the Fudds. It is with deep regret that we must announce that so far we have not been able to secure a license to release the rest of the Yawara anime. Uh, let's see. Any additional information on this? No, except that the uh, anime adaptation was licensed by Animigo back in 2006. They gave away the first four episodes on a free disc at Comic-Con International to, in 2007, and finally released the first 40-episode DVD set in 2008. Well, gee, it's, with all this news about Yawara and all, I can only feel that that's what our anime review should be about. And you should also check out our sister site, Anna Fanatiku's review of Yawara, which was posted quite recently. Next, Bandai to sell transforming kanji creature toys in May. Oh, yes. The Japanese conglomerate Bandai has announced on Wednesday that everyone will have kanji satisfaction. And that it will launch a chewing gum slash toy line that will transform Japanese kanji characters into creatures. And these will begin releasing May 17th. The Chohenkan Moji Bakaru line will feature six different designs in four different colors, along with a piece of gum in each package. The name, which roughly translates to Super Transformation Character Altering, is a wordplay on Moji Bake, the Japanese computer term for characters that have been garbled while sent or stored. There are six different designs, including Inu Bakaru, the dog. You know, I'm going to skip the Bakaru because that's on the end of every name. Anyways, Inu the dog, Toro the tiger, Uo the fish, Uma the horse, Tori the bird, and Ryu the dragon. Uh, while Bandai is targeting elementary school children with this chewing gum toy line, it also anticipates that children and adults will enjoy these. The company plans to put out 400,000 of these toys on the shelves of convenience stores, volume sellers, and supermarkets by the end of May. And I have a feeling for anybody who wants to learn six kanji that that would be a great item to import. And you'd get some gum out of the deal, huh? That's nothing to sneeze at. Next, something involving Dojin, the iPhone, and Americans? Could it be? The Dojinshi portal site Circle.ms has launched its MS service for creating Dojinshi apps on Apple's iPad and iPhone mobile service devices on Tuesday. According to CircleMS, creators can use MS as a platform to easily develop ebook apps for Apple's App Store. Until June 6th, the service is accepting beta testers who wish to make ebooks from their works. The resulting applications offer standard ebook features such as page turning, magnification, rotation, and bookmarks. The website posted a video to showcase the service's features along with the sample Made no Tamago, the Maid's Egg, number one doujinshi ebook by Koshi Ichiba on iPhone and iPad versions. The Maid's Egg is available for free in the App Store in Japan and in other countries, including the United States. In related news, and yet a separate development, the Tanami site for independent manga creators and animators has announced on Tuesday that it opened its API to web software developers. With the open API, outside developers can access the content on Tanami and develop software around the content. Tanami features about 130 illustrations, manga, animation, text works, model kit, cosplay photographs, and other works submitted by 65,000 registered users since the site was established in 1996. 
As an example of what can be done with the open API, Tinami presents CatHands Pix Viewer, an app which allows viewers to browse Tinami's submissions from an iPhone, iPod Touch, or iPad. The Tekken site website notes that the open API will not only enable iPhone and iPad apps, but also programs for the Sony Ericsson Xperia and other smartphones on Google's Android platform. Awesome news! And if anyone has a an iPod and they can check that out. That would also be awesome. And and you know, write in, let us know. Ooh, look at that. In English and everything. Oh my goodness. It's just too good to be true. Yep, so I recommend anyone who wants to check that out from Circle MS do so since it appears to be the only one in English. Moving on. FanimeCon has announced that it will host Rune Soldier Louie illustrator Mamoru Yokota at the May 28th through 31st convention in San Jose, California. Yokota provided the illustrations for the Rune Soldier Louie light novels, and then later provided the character designs for the anime adaptation. Yokota also worked as producer for both the Air Movie and Toei Animation's Canon television series, and also worked as an animation director for the Death Note TV series. Yokota has provided artwork for two video game adaptations of Katakyo Hitman born as well as the Suzumiya Haruhi no uh, Gekido and Suzumiya Haruhi no Chokorutse video games. Yokota will appear at FanimeCon panel restricted to mature audiences only. FanimeCon will also host Gainax Studio co-founder and executive creator uh, executive director and cash-in Hiroyuki Yamaga, voice actress and singer uh, Halko Momoi from Ayori Aoshi's Chika Minazuka My, Brit, My Bride is a Mermaid San Seto and Tales of the Abysses Anissa Tatlin and the J-Rock band LMC and game creators Daisuke Ishawatari and Toshimichi Mori I wish I could go Windows 7 gets a anime ad with Nanami Madobe mascot. Oh yes, we brought you this news about the uh, OS, the only official OS 10 uh, mascot that has ever been officially sanctioned, is sanctioned by Microsoft, Apple, or any other OS distributor. Of course, this OS 10 was created by Microsoft itself in order to promote Windows 7. But let's get on with the story, shall we? The Akihabara PC Game Fest event has announced that it will unveil an original anime commercial starring the Windows 7 mascot character Nanami Madobe on May 9th in Tokyo. Nanami Madobe was created to promote the Microsoft Windows 7 operating system to build-it-yourself computer owners. Prolific voice actress and singer Nana Mizuki has been voicing the character since the mascot debuted last year as a bonus customization theme for Japanese premium sets of the Windows 7 Ultimate Edition. And... I extracted that theme. Kind of nice. Only really liked one of the wallpapers, but cool nonetheless. Novelist Koji Watanabe and technical writer uh, Toshiya Takahashi will appear at the Windows 7 special show on May 9th, and the event organi uh, organization's hosts hint at special several guests. The name Nanami Madobe can be interpreted as wordplay on Nana Mizuki's name, as well as the Japanese words Madobe, by the window, and Nana, meaning seven. And finally, in the long blog posting version of our news, um, we have something done up by the CEO of BangZoom Entertainment, who many of you may recognize as being a rather prolific anime 
uh, dubbing studio. They do the voices for the people who license the shows. Eric P. Sherman, president and CEO of the anime dubbing company Bang Zoom Entertainment, has posted on an editorial on the Anime TV blog on Saturday, urging fans to buy anime instead of watching it for free via fan sub videos. In the editorial, Sherman wrote that if fans do not support anime by buying it legally, that he can guarantee that by this time next year, Bang Zoom will not be bringing any more English-dubbed language versions of anime. Sherman added in his editorial several things, of which I will read in a moment, because the rest of this article is basically summarizing it, and I wanted to bring you it all in its whole unedited, although I, I might make jokes throughout because I'm a jerk. So, let's find out. Posted on the 25th of April, 2010, by Eric P. Sherman, president of BangZoom Entertainment. You must have noticed by now that many of the publishers that brought anime to the West have been shut down or substantially downsized. There are only a few places left still able to bring titles to our shores. This is a critical year for anime. There's no other way to say it. And I realized this morning that it was time for me to sound an urgent alarm. If people don't resist the urge to get their fix illegally, the entire industry is about to fizzle out. It won't be a big, dramatic change at this point. Last year we saw Bandai fire 90% of their staff on one Monday in January. And two years ago, we saw Genion, formerly known as Pioneer, shut their doors and auction off their wares to the highest bidder. Central Park Media died a slow, painful death, and AEV fell hard and fast the way Mighty Giants will. But from here on, it won't be so exciting. Japan's already suffering and struggling to bring out quality titles. They can't rely on everything being picked up by U.S. distributors anymore. And little by little, anime just won't be here anymore. You can't find much anime at Best Buy now. In fact, where can you find it for sale? Think about that. There are fewer new titles coming out, and less and less stuff will be in English. It is not just the worst, the cost of dubbing it. It's true that entertainment distribution models are going to be changing dramatically. DVD may be on the way out forever, and online TV is becoming a reality very quickly. But so far, there are no successful ways to monetize online entertainment. Not so that creators can afford to produce and distribute quality entertainment content. Anime is going to die, unless you change, right now. Stop your stealing. If you've committed theft, robbery, shoplifting, or just downloading some stuff through Torrent Reactor, then just stop doing it now. You probably wouldn't go into a supermarket and put a package of Swiss cheese under your shirt and walk out without paying, nor would you walk into Best Buy and try to walk out with Guitar Hero, bypassing the cash register. Why? Is it because you might get caught? Because Guitar Hero comes in a big box and it would be super bulky to try and walk out with that under your shirt? Sorry, I was, I was going off of one of your rope. Or are there other issues, such as standards of morality, that dictate how you live your life? The net, for all its charms, is also a dark and dangerous place. When you're navigating it, you need to ask yourself this question. Is this right just because it's so easy? No, if it was right, it would be expensive and cost you money. Sorry, sorry, editorializing again. You need to understand that quality entertainment costs a lot to create. And if there is no one paying for this content, it just won't be made anymore. If no one bought tickets to a Lady Gaga show, she would not do the tour. That's just how it works, and the music industry would be better off for it. Sorry, sorry. For some reason, people don't mind stealing their anime. I'm here to tell you flat out. Stealing anime is wrong. You're doing something bad. And you need to stop it, even though I'm not differentiating between intellectual property violations and stealing. I'm sure that some of you reading this will laugh, close this window, 
even though Sean, you know, NZ17 is on here reading this. Uh, uh, yeah, close the window and go download some more torrents. Why not? Who's going to know? Who's going to catch you? I think this bears repetition, so I'll say it again. Not getting caught does not make what you are doing right. And I am pretty sure it doesn't make you feel good about yourself. What you are doing is not only illegal, it is actually hurting many people, from the artists and creators to the voice actors in the studios, all working to put food on their tables for their families. You can't see them, and you can't see the immediate results of your actions, but believe me, you are hurting people. If what I'm saying resonates with you, then consider this a wake-up call, a call to immediate and profound action. Not action satisfaction, that's Bandai's thing, and we're bang zoom. I mean, we've done work, that's not the point. Sorry, editorializing again. It's very easy to do. You should support anime if you love it by paying for it. Do the right thing, plain and simple. Because if you don't, I can guarantee you that by this time next year, BangZoom Entertainment won't be bringing you any more English language versions of it. To all of those who support anime, a heartfelt thank you from all of us at the studio. Eric P. Sherman, President and CEO, BangZoom Entertainment, April 24th, 2010. So then, this blog posting, if you will, although it was wasn't really his blog. Anyways, this posting of his editorial spurred quite a discussion flurry among those who uh, read it and heard it in the past week. As a matter of fact, um, the blog of which it was posted on normally only gets about uh, anywhere between 0 to 11 comments on an average story, usually hovering about uh, 1 or 2. And this one got 231 comments quite an outpouring of people's opinions. Um, ultimately, though, I think it's up to OLNZ17 to go and call it how it is. Now, I doubt Eric P. Sherman, the CEO and president of BangZoom Entertainment, will be listening to this show. But from what I've observed of other people saying on various places, that there's a number of reasons for the things that they do. Now, I'm not going to sit here and condone people go not going and properly compensating uh, others for the hard work that they do. But I am here to go and point out some points and opinions that I have seen common among those who have posted on places such as Anime TV and Anime News Network in regards to uh, this story and their opinions. Uh, first of all, I must say that Mr. Sherman needs to learn to differentiate between copyright violations, intellectual property violations, if you will, and stealing. Now, I realize that it's a fine point that's lost on some people, and unfortunately, it's also something that is, uh, well, it's a small difference, but an important difference between out-and-out -out stealing and copyright violation. In the world of, let's say, digital, Things can be replicated infinitely, with great ease. In the physical world, the real world, in which I and all other biological creatures are forever chained in servitude until we finally get that release at the end of life from this humdrum existence of limited availability and seemingly unfairness. Oh, oh right. The physical world limits us, and so uh, going and producing uh, greater... Uh, versions of things, additional versions of things, costs a great deal of money and time and resources in order to manufacture new things. Books, DVD sets, Blu-ray discs, what have you. Whereas in the digital realm, anything that can be represented digitally can be recreated with incredible ease. The initial creation of something, such as a video game, 
may take great effort, but once you finally get past all of the work and time and money involved in creating the first copy, every copy after that is incredibly easy to make. A simple uh, job of just typing in a copy command and letting it go as many times as you need. Uh, and therefore, while the cost of the first thing to be created may be several tens of thousands of dollars up to several million dollars, uh, each subsequent copy, of course, is basically free to create, and therefore, as you make and sell more copies, the cost of the one copy is distributed among the many. So then, what's the difference between stealing and copyright violations? Well, if you steal something, that object is gone. Say, a Barnes & Noble store, for example has a whole bunch of manga on a shelf. If people come in and steal the books, and they start out with 20 books, five people steal books, they only have 15 books left in the store. However, if somebody goes online, and they go and they steal a copy of a manga, or steal a copy of an anime or video game, what they're actually doing is not stealing at all. Because, let's say there was one copy of a particular anime on some website, and somebody came along and either legally or illegally made a copy of it, say paid for a episode through iTunes. Well then a copy of that episode is sent from iTunes servers down to that person's computer, and that copy is made without going and taking away the original copy. From one copy we suddenly have two copies, and an infinite number can be created in such a way. I'm sure for many of you this is just common knowledge. Well then, that goes and makes a distinct difference between stealing and copyright violations. If you steal, an item is gone from somebody and an, another person has taken said item. If you violate a copyright, however, the person still has that original copy and you have just made another copy for yourself. So I see stealing as going and causing two, um, shall we say, misdeeds. You have taken something and the person can't sell it, so they have missed out twice. Whereas a copyright violation is really only doing a misdeed once. Yes, you have taken something without paying for it, but they have not lost the original and are still able to go and create more copies. Now, of course, that doesn't help anyone when they're trying to sell money, but it is still important to go and notice the difference. So then, what else do I find that needs comment upon in this editorial? Well, I've noticed in the comments that have happened that many people state that when it comes to buying anime that they have given up for various reasons. Not given up in the sense that um, they are going out and just stealing things, but have given up on buying anime for various reasons. Some of the reasons that I saw cited were that some people are tired of the um, get part of a series, don't get the rest approach that many people have taken. In other words, an anime licensor decides to go and license the rights to an anime and releases a first set, whether that's just one DVD or maybe the first three DVDs or maybe a half season or full season box set. Then they don't make enough money back from the set or they didn't go and get terms for the rest of the series and then the price of uh, licensing goes up for uh, the rest of the series and so they only have a contract for the first season or what have you. And so instead of bringing us the whole series, they only bring us part of the series. Uh, as mentioned earlier, this happened with uh, Hikaru no Go. Uh, this happened with Super Gals until the Right Stuff International stepped in and helped out because ADV brought the first half but didn't bring the second half. 
Uh, we have actually seen this with a lot of anime series, and unfortunately, most of the time, no one comes in to rescue the series and bring in the second half. So among those that read and replied to this editorial, many expressed the belief that they would not buy any anime until the entirety of the series was released for purchase. Because why go out and spend $40 on a box set or $80 on two box sets when ultimately you'll be denied the third, fourth, or however many seasons are left? And I have to agree that it does hurt to go and get a series, especially when one starts to get quite good, and then never get to see the end. This happened to me with Kodocha, a great series which I've talked about in length on other episodes of Aso Radio. And, of course, uh, let us not forget Yawara, which we mentioned in the news earlier, a series which, uh, once it starts going, really pulls you in, makes you want to see more. Other reasons that people cited for not going and buying anime is simply that, well, when they got into anime, it was one thing, and over time, it's become another. A lot of people that started watching anime in the mid-90s didn't like what it became in the 2000s. A lot of people that started watching anime in the early 2000s or late 90s didn't like what anime became in the late 2000s. Uh, I can tell you, as an American fan of anime, I really, really hate Moe. Now, there have been a few exceptions, but those are less than five, I can assure you, that I have seen. Almost every Moe I have ever seen fills me with some sort of nearly unexplainable hatred that makes me want to go and tear faces off of the characters in these shows. Um, but that, of course, is a personal problem of mine. However, my disdain for Moe is not limited to myself. Though it was a quite popular cultural fad in Japan, the whole Moe movement though it did entice a few American fans, never really caught on here strong. And of course, if nobody in America is buying Moe anime, nobody in America is going to license Moe anime, and therefore the Moe anime is not going to perform well, which of course this trickles back to Japan. As someone else pointed out, um, with things like Geshikan and other th shows which were made to, like Lucky Star, appeal to primarily the hardcore otaku market in Japan, well, um, because of course they saw the huge success obtained by shows like uh, um, Suzumiya and shows like Genshikan and others, uh, of course, like any industry, it's filled with a bunch of... Uh, follow the leader types, and they all said, oh man, this is the future of anime, we need to apply to the hardcore Japanese otaku, you know, living at homes with their expensive collections of $50 uh, Blu-ray discs. Well, so they all went that way, and unfortunately, um, the, the Japanese otaku fans, while quite pleased, um, are not a huge market, there's not tons and tons of people, and so perhaps while Genshikan and uh, other shows quickly released after that uh, did do well and started this whole big movement, well, the casual anime fans of Japan didn't want these shows, and the foreign anime fans in France and Germany and uh, America, they weren't interested in these shows either. It applied to a very specific set of people, and outside of that set, there was very little interest. So, of course, this sent the anime industry in Japan reeling, and uh, unfortunately, it also happened at a very bad time. Not only were they putting out shows that very few people wanted to watch because they were applying to that hardcore demographic that's only in Japan, but then, of course, the worldwide economic crisis began about 2008, 2009. It really set in, 
And, of course, that did not help things at all. So back in America, we've got these people that are trying to sell anime and manga, of course. Um, and uh, all this material coming out of Japan has switched from either being moe stuff or stuff meant to appeal to hardcore Japanese otaku. And that's not really going anywhere. So there's less and less shows that they're able to license, not because they don't have the money for it, but because nobody wants to buy the stuff that people don't like here. Well, this has repercussions. Um, because less stuff is being brought over, there's less stuff to sell. And with less stuff to sell, there's less money to be made. So as the anime companies have begun to make less and less money, they have been unable to afford English dubbing. Now, why Japanese dubbing with English subtitles does sell, and of course we've seen a proliferation of such things online, as uh, we have seen simulcasts of things like Bleach and Naruto and One Piece. Um, on the other hand, those sorts of things really only work for the dedicated anime fan. For the more casual fan, they don't want to watch things in Japanese. The more casual fan wants to go and have things in English. A number of reasons, of course. It's easier to pay casual entertainment to a show while you're eating or cleaning or uh, taking care of chores if uh, it is dubbed in English. It's also a lot less work if you have a slow reading speed or prefer not to read or find the subtitles changing at the bottom of the screen distracting or perhaps you're unable to pay enough attention to the actual animation since you're constantly reading the words. Those are all additional reasons for liking dubs. And the fact of the matter is, when it comes to sales of anime, whether it's on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, HD DVD, or any format, really, it is a proven fact, as far as statistics go, that the anime companies have collected on their releases, that if you release a show subtitled only, versus releasing a show with English dubbing, the English dub will sell better, whether it's some VHS tapes have the Japanese, and some VHS, or beta if you will, tapes have the English. The English-speaking version will sell much, much better. I believe, actually, the difference is something like tenfold. It's been a while since I looked at the statistics. But the fact of the matter is, is that the English dub version sells several times what the Japanese dubbed version of a show will do. However, to do a quality dub costs anywhere from $20,000 or more. And of course you can't afford to do this with uh, niche titles that appeal to only a small demographic. So we have seen the steady decline in anime dubbed releases. Many box sets which have been released have been Japanese only. Uh, Yawara, which I mentioned earlier, got a Japanese only release. Uh, some series started off with an English dub, and over time, the costs of doing a dub, or the practicalities of it, caused the rest of the DVD series to only be released in a subtitled form, which, at least, we got the rest of the series, unlike a lot of tragic victims of these things. But uh, if you became accustomed to listening to the dub cast, or you had a particular favorite voice actor or actress playing a role, suddenly you had to get used to a whole new voice cast. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking. Just ask my good friend Link1986. He started watching the Tenchi Muyo series way back when it first came out, and was a big fan of the original Ryoko voice actress. And then recently they released uh, some new series, which had Ryoko in it, and... 
he just couldn't bring himself to go and listen to those series with that new voice actress. And, while I myself, if I'm a big fan of a series, I'll watch it one way or another. After all, look how I switched from Super Gals' English dub, which was very good, to the Japanese dub, which was also very good. It took a bit of getting used to, just like when I switched from Full Metal Alchemist's English dub to the Japanese dub when I was watching the new Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood series. Ultimately, I guess, it really comes down to, if people don't want it, they're not going to pay for it. There's some people out there who are never going to pay anything, if you will, the hardcore pirates, who are out there just to go and see things for free and wouldn't pay for something if you gave them the money to pay for it. Other people out there are more casual piraters of content. They're not out there because they f expect to get something for free. They're out there because they really like a series and they can't wait for it to be released. Or perhaps they're out there because their favorite series, which was once licensed, is in some sort of strange state of limbo. The license is still valid in America, or wherever they're from, but the company hasn't said when or if any new releases will be coming out, just the promise that eventually we may be releasing the rest of this, so keep your wallets handy. Um, but, of course, I think the majority of people out there are just good, honest people pragmatic people that are just seeing the practical side of things. They want to buy anime. They want to give you their money for the plushies and the wall scrolls and the limited edition toys and figurines. They want to go and buy your, your videos, whether they're in box sets of DVDs or individual Blu-ray discs or online through your stores. But the reality of it is, is if you're not selling something they want to buy, they're not going to give you their, their money just because it's anime. I mean, I'm a big fan of anime. Heck knows I've been doing this show for over 10 years and over 100 episodes by now. Um, not to mention the numerous fans and guests that have had their voices spoken on this show. But just because I like anime doesn't mean that I'll watch just anything. I mean, everyone knows how much I hate the Harlock series, Galaxy Express 999, anything made by that guy point is, people have tastes and preferences, and if you're not catering to those, they're just not going to buy whatever you're trying to sell. If Japan's not putting that stuff out, well, then it really sucks to be the middleman, and let's face it, anime in America, though it started out with Astro Boy being shown on NBC, was pretty much uh, after the early boom of the 60s, an underground fan thing. Got a little show here, a little show there, but pretty much... Fans going and distributing fan-subtitled, unauthorized, licensed uh, episodes amongst each other, copying from tape to tape, watching a ninth-generation blurry VHS tape which can't hold its vertical hold, and so you're trying to watch subtitles as it scrolls, or maybe is just in raw Japanese. Well, those are the fans. That was the quote-unquote industry before there was a real industry, which began to form in the 90s and solidify with the Pokemon boom. And so, in many ways, we're just seeing the end of the bubble. Um, back before the super popularity of Pokemon, anime was a niche thing with only a few releases a year. And I think we're seeing a return to that. Um, if there is an anime coming out of Japan with mass appeal for an American or international audience, it's not going to sell. And if it's not going to sell, then only the people interested in that particular type of thing are going to be watching. So some may decry this as the death of the anime industry, that we're not going to see any more dubs anymore. But the way I look at it, it's just a return to the way things are. Anime is still going to sell. The businesses are going to have to adjust their business models in order to go and meet the demands of an ever more digital age. 
but ultimately it comes down to supply and demand. You supply us with uh, what we want to watch, we'll demand more of it, and be willing to share our money in order to get a slice of that anime pie. But if all you're bringing out is uh, stuff that nobody wants, the moe or the hardcore otaku shows, they're just not going to sell. And in hard times, people are much less likely to uh, spend money on unnecessary uh, well, luxuries of life. As sad as it is to admit at times, anime, manga, video games, entertainment in general is a luxury of life. And people are going to be more willing to put putting food on their table before they're going to go and plunk down some cash and uh, starve a little. So sometimes, as I said, people are just pragmatic, practical, and they say to themselves, I would love to buy this series, but right now I don't have the money for it. Or, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money if I can't get the whole series. So for now, I'm going to buy myself a couple loaves of bread, some milk, um, some food on the table, and I'm going to watch this series until I can afford to buy it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, Eric P. Sherman, employees of BangZoom Entertainment, voice actors and actresses of the American and international anime community, we love your work. We want to see more of it. And whenever we can afford to buy it, if it's a show we want, we will. But just as you want us to understand you, understand us. We're not going to buy it just because you make it. We're only going to buy it if it's good and if it's the sort of thing we want. there's the shows that never even get made available to the West. Oh, wh wait, my editorializing on his blog post is over? Oh, right, so it's time for a review, which is nothing at all like an editorial or an opinion, I assure you. Reviews are strong, hard facts. Eh, well, whatever. Let's move on. We've got business to attend to. So, what are we going to be reviewing on this episode of ASO Radio? Well, I already told you earlier that it's going to be Yawara. A fantastic little show from Animigo, a fantastic little anime distributor here in America. Well, what's Yawara about? Well, the subtitle begins to explain it. 
a fashionable judo girl. Yawara is a talented young girl of a line of prolific judo masters. She herself, however, has no interest in going and continuing through the long-lasting third generation of judo masters. She figured, sure, it was fine for her grandpa, sure, it was fine for her father, but for her, she wants to live the life of a normal girl, going to school, having friends, going to parties, meeting boys, going to college, and just living the life of a homemaker. She doesn't want to be some sort of do-everything girl. She doesn't want to go and live out the judo dreams of her grandfather who never had a grandson to carry it on. She just wants to go and live the life of a happy, ordinary girl. Her grandfather, of course, has different ideas. Yawara's Oji-san, or Oji-chan, as she calls him, her grandfather, um, has the plan of her going and becoming the next great Japanese judo master, following him and his son, to become not only the greatest judo master of Japan, but the greatest judo master in the world, so that she can go and compete at the 1984 Barcelona Olympics and take home the gold for Japan as the judo master of the world. So, he and her are constantly butting heads. She just wants to live the simple, happy life of an ordinary girl who becomes an ordinary housewife. Uh, the silly romantic ideas in her head, however, do not agree with her grandfather. And he constantly insists that no, she must go to this school. And yes, she must join this club. And she must go on to this prestigious place. And she must go and become ever greater until, of course, she succeeds at winning the national title and then the Olympics. So, of course, the two are constantly fighting and uh, constantly, well, leaving the house angry. However, um, the one, I, I guess it's a bit of a, a compromise face-off, if you will. Uh, one day, Yawara uh, manages to be discovered by a sports photographer for a newspaper who sees her going and uh, taking care of a criminal single-handedly by doing a judo throw which is actually Yawara's uh, legendary move, where she takes down opponents quite quickly in most of her matches by simply doing a powerful and uh, uncountered flip of them over her shoulder. He captures a photograph of this and publishes it in the paper, making her an overnight uh, star. But nobody knows who this girl is, and so he, the dogged reporter, decides to track her down and find out who she is and how come she's so good and why the judo world has never seen or heard of her before. This, of course, leads him and his partner, who is the photo part of the photojournalist pair, to go and seek her out, often to the uh, anger or happiness of his editor, all depending on how well that's working out. Initially, he is against it, but once they start seeing big circulation numbers for their newspaper show up, he's all for him tracking down this mysterious girl. Eventually, um, Yawara finds out about her newly published status and is quite upset because she had been keeping her judo as a secret from all of her friends at school. As, of course, I have said, she wants to live a simple life and she doesn't want people seeing her as a judo martial artist. Well, one, she doesn't want anything to do with the crazy dreams of her uncle, regardless of her innate talent, um, or her grandfather, blah, blah, blah. But, also... 
she's afraid that by being a powerful martial artist, if this was public knowledge, then it would scare off all the boys and she couldn't get any dates. And They would look at her at a, as a big, scary person instead of a meek, humble, cute girl that they might be interested in. Um, and, of course, once this gets out, uh, she's worried her reputation has gone down the drain and is very angry at the journalistic pair. Uh, they keep trying to go and get her to do another flip and give them another story for their uh, section, but is turning them down at every opportunity and trying to avoid them. Um, unfortunately, the journalist uh, will not get a clue and instead uh, decides to keep tracking her down, even to her home. This uh, it does not sit well with his editor, who says, look, if this story isn't going anywhere, you need to do something to sell papers, and if you're not selling papers and get me the stories I need, we ain't paying you. But he refuses to give up, and he continues to hound Yawara. In the meantime, however, we meet another pair of characters, a prolific princess of the sports world, who is determined to be the best at any sport she decides to take on. Whether that's boxing, or whether that's tennis, she is determined to be number one, and once she has obtained this title, gives up whatever sport she has entered. Her latest fascination is judo. Having heard the legend of Yawara, she has decided to go and become a judo expert and decides to go and employ a professional judo coach in order to go and train her and make her even better. The coach that she chooses is quite the ladies' man, but because of his past experience in the world of judo and the belief that he may be able to make her into the best judo champion in all of Japan and the world, she forces him to sign on. Well, this suave ladies' man of a judo uh, instructor is not one to go and deny a lady, nor is he one to be denied by a lady. We go and see of his fanciful playboy lifestyle, and eventually he sets his eyes targeted on Yawara. Of course, as a viewer, this upset me quite a bit. Yawara is a sweet girl, and I don't want some sort of scumbag hanging around and trying to go and, well, not be good. So, this playboy has a weakness. While he is a good judo instructor, and while he has a taste for the ladies, there is one thing that he cannot stand, and that is publicity. He hates the press world, the photojournalist, and he just can't speak in front of large crowds, which of course is a detriment to him, but plays well to his student. For this rich girl loves the spotlight, taking microphones and forcing her way onto the stage. A bit of a funny pair, and an introduced, and I suppose in a sports anime, necessary rival for Yawara. Of course, Yawara, in my opinion, isn't really a sports anime. Sure, there's plenty of judo fights and matches, but it's really a slice-of-life show about somebody who just happens to be talented at judo. It's not some sort of Dragon Ball Z or some sort of Yu Yu Hakusho where it's constantly one tournament and one fight as another as the main character defeats them all and becomes ever stronger and better, seemingly, well, unchallenged by challengers who approach. No, Yawara is about a girl who's trying to avoid her seemingly inevitable fame and uh, avoid this talent which she never asked for so that she can live a happy, ordinary life. And then the playboy is angered because Yawara is the fish that gets away. Oh, sure, she uh, falls for his charms and his false compliments and his ways. However, the rich girl... Yawara's self-proclaimed rival will have none of this. 
she sees Yawara as a rival not just in the field but in all ways because uh, Yawara refuses to fight her. And when Yawara does fight her, she manages to soundly beat her. And so since she cannot beat Yawara in the ring, she keeps trying and training. And because she realizes, however, that the playboy has his eyes on Yawara, she decides if she can't beat her out and out in the ring, then she will go and take her down in other ways. And one of those is, of course, denying her this judo instructor. She knows he likes her and that she likes him, but she is definitely not going to let that happen and uses it against both of them. Meanwhile, as the story progresses, Yawara is coerced by her grandfather into going and, well, basically having her become the judo star he wants. He says, oh, you can go to this school or this event or hang out with your friends if you train more in the morning or if you go and um, participate in this competition and so on and so forth. And Yawara, of course, wants to go and do these things and, of course, she often refuses to go and concede her grandfather's demands. But an uneasy truce, in, uh, an uneasy diplomatic agreement is often reached by the two. And this dynamic is made all the more interesting once Yawara's mother shows up. Yawara's father has gone missing and has been for several years, and her mother is constantly on the lookout for her missing husband. However, every now and again when she loses a lead or just needs to see her family, she comes back home to her father and daughter. And acts as an interesting intermediary between the two. She sees that the grandfather only wants what he sees is best for Yawara and for the family, and that Yawara only wants what will make her happy, and so her mother often acts as an in-between, manipulating both of them to make them both think that they got their way, or that something is not the way that they are, so that in a sense both Yawara and her Oji-chan can have their uh, cake and eat it too. Uh, so very, very interesting dynamic when they're just butting heads, but made much more delightful by a mother who's just trying to keep peace in the household and make everyone happy. However, all is not cheery in Yawara land, uh, though she has many fun and fascinating secondary characters to the story, including the judo club at her school, which keeps begging her to join, uh, and though she refuses to be a member, she does concede and does teach them some judo moves and helps them eventually become not the pathetic laughing stock of the region. And um, other characters get introduced along the way. However, as I was saying, not everything is cheery. There is a character that is introduced later on that filled me with such seething hatred, such bile and anger, that I was about ready to quit the Yawara first season box set of the first 40 episodes two-thirds of the way through. You see, the sports journalist, which has doggedly hounded Yawara in order to get scoops and write stories, is also another potential love interest for our heroine. You see, besides for the uh, judo coach who's been eyeing her, eventually, through both her prowess in judo and knowing her personally as a, a sweet, cheerful person, um, our journalist has fallen for this girl. At first, of course, he denies it to himself, but soon it becomes apparent to his photo jockey journalist buddy and uh, those around him that it is all too obvious that while he may deny it and while she may deny it, the two of them have budding feelings for one another. Of course, um, professionalism often gets in the way of personal relationships 
And, oh, though it hurts the heart, he sometimes makes the wrong call in whether to go and choose uh, the story or the girl. Particularly towards the end of the season, there was this one point in which I wanted to scream and grab him by the neck and go, No, you fool, it could have all been yours! But I digress. This character shows up later on because, as mentioned, these two start to have feelings for one another. And, of course, we can't have a show about girls and feelings without introducing rivals. We already have the rival with the tennis coach, so we need a rival for this guy. So how do we get a rival for the journalist? Well, apparently, the editors at the office don't like the job that our friend has been doing and decide to saddle him with a new photographer partner. This girl is a very annoying crybaby who tries to go and use her appeal as a woman in order to get her way and when that doesn't work she just goes and breaks down and starts crying and or throwing a fit or otherwise behaving in an aggravating way that makes you just hate her character oh sure it's obvious that this is supposed to be a funny character an exaggerated crybaby who tries to use her feminine charms whether through going and rubbing on the arm of somebody or going and crying like a helpless child but for this red-blooded American, it was, well, all I could do to not reach through the screen and poke her eyes out and then strangle her throat so I didn't have to hear her, her endless crying. However, after the strong initial introduction, and about three episodes or so after she first shows up, she finally fades back to the background noise that she should be regulated to, our... A uh, journalistic sports writer gets his old partner back, and so instead of just being a duo, it is now a trio. She's still in tow, but thankfully her and her annoying voice and personality get much less screen time, and she's regulated more or less to playing the funny, stupid roles that are occasionally necessary to the uh, situations. Oh, man, that character almost made me quit the series, but I am glad that I did not, because... Yawara is, just as the main character herself, a charming and enjoyable show. Some people may find the initial episodes off-putting, and I will admit that at first I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch the whole series. They're a very, shall we call it, predictable set, the first episodes. Yawara wants one thing, her grandfather wants another thing, they butt heads, eventually the argument gets over with no thing being resolved, and they separate their own ways. Usually she storms out of the house angrily and basically rinse, wash, and repeat for each of the initial several episodes. I'd say maybe the first six, four to six episodes, are of this nature, where it's, oh, Yawara, you must become the next judo master of Japan, and then the world, and get the gold medal at the Barcelona Olympics. No, Oji-chan, I want to go and become a regular girl, and meet a handsome man who I'll fall in love with, and we'll get married and have children together, and live a simple life. No, you must do this. I don't want to do that. Well, then, you're not going to be inheriting the family, blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't want it in the first place. Storm out. Then, of course, journalist shows up, tries to hunt her down. She tells him off. He doesn't get a clue. She flips him over her shoulder. And it kind of goes on like that. But eventually, as I said, things do get rolling. Uh, the characters kind of soften up a bit, even though they're just as stubborn and determined to get their way as ever. Um, but they kind of, uh, you know, it, it uh, changes from just this same thing every time to a little bit of lax here, a little bit of lax there, some new interesting characters, so on and so forth. 
Now, at this point, I'm not going to jump right into going and giving my recommendation on this, because there's something I feel that I would like to mention first. As fans of ASO Radio know, I am a longtime fan of Rumiko Takahashi, have been ever since I saw the first Romna one-half episodes. And as such, I am also a big fan of her Mycene Koku work. And I have reviewed that enough on the show for people to know that I think quite highly of it. And Yawara came at an interesting time. An interesting time because it was released after Mycene Koku began to be released. And the influence of Mycene Koku on this series is hugely obvious. And while I could pick and choose uh, here and there, I'm going to only stick with the uh, biggest, most obvious one, the judo coach. In Maizuni Koku, there is a tennis coach who is the romantic rival for the main female character of the series, alongside everyday ho-hum guy Godai. In Yawara, the main romantic interest for the heroine of the series is not a tennis coach, but a judo coach, who is the main rival for the ho-hum everyday sports journalist who is after her affection. In Maizuni Koku, the tennis coach is a ladies' man. In Yawara, the judo coach is a ladies' man. In Maizuni Koku, the tennis coach is deathly afraid of dogs. In Yawara, the judo coach is deathly afraid of public speaking and the press. Can we say copy and paste character? Yes, we can. Um, all in all, I, I of course... Uh, Yawara elicits protective feelings of the viewer. They are charmed by Yawara and her cute, sweet ways, and don't want to see any harm uh, arrive to her. And, of course, we want to protect her from the scummy judo coach. So I've never been a big fan of this character, although, in a way, he kind of grows on you. As you can see, he doesn't want to be manipulated by the rich princess who becomes convinced that they are destined to be together and puts him between a rock and a hard place in order to get him to agree to do this or do that and show up at social events and pretend to be her boyfriend and fiancé, etc., etc. Um, but nonetheless, it is definitely a true thing that it seems heavily inspired by Coach Mitaka of Maizuni Koku. And for that, I have to say, tisk tisk tisk, you need to be a little bit more original. Nonetheless, Yawara is a great slice-of-life show. If you're curious about the day-to-day -day life of Japanese people and the differences between the older generation and the newer generation, or you'd like uh, particularly to see a slice of Japan from the late 80s and early um, I should say the late 70s and early 80s before the proliferation of cell phones and this and that of modern technology kind of changed things and you could see more of the dynamic between the old Japan of pre-World War II and the post-Japan generation uh, that grew up after the war, then Yawara is a great, great show to watch. You can see all these rivalries, both in the judo ring and in the romance ring. You can see the day-to-day -day lives, the conflict between the younger post-war and pre-war generations. And, of course, it is just a great show all in all. You see Yawara go from an unwilling but talented judo person to honing her skills and eventually participating in matches, much to the delight of her grandfather and eventually some reluctant happiness on her part of, at her achievements. 
And it's just, what can I say, a charming show all in all, with the exception of that one dreadful woman character that shows up as a photographer nightmare. All of the characters tend to be really charming, even if uh, we just have the female princess's character's false tooth pop out a few too many times in the initial, shall we say, wacky hijinks early episodes of the series. Um, all of the characters grow on you, even if the rivals are sometimes frustrating or, um, shall we say, unnecessarily enthusiastic about their um, competitive nature towards Yawara. Nonetheless, the girl, the story, the characters, the world, it's all very charming, very slice of life, a nice window into the world of Japan. As a result, I had enjoyed Yawara quite a lot and was sad to see when I got towards the end of the 40 episodes, especially as some promising new territory was coming up as Yawara was to take on the strongest judo champions of the world as part of her pre-Olympic training. Of course, there's no guarantee she'll be going with the Olympics with her constant protests against her grandfather, but we all know that that's uh, pre-written in the sky as her destiny. After all, though she doth protest mightily, it's pretty much given that that is the path that Yawara goes down. And much to the delight of all of Japan, and I know that it is a bit of a spoiler, but for heaven's sake, people, the show is over 25 years old. Um, Japan did win at the Barcelona Olympics the gold medal. And the gold medalist who won, because of this series, forever has the nickname Yawara. That's how big of an impression this show made on all of Japan. And so as a result, I am proud to give Yawara the highly prestigious recommendation from ASO Radio of highly recommended. It is the silver medal of all of ASO Radio's recommendations, and while I'd love to give it the gold, just a few niggling things from the uh, beginning of the series, the end of the series, and that one particularly annoying character bring it down. But Yawara is a world-class anime athlete, and I hope that one day that we in the West will be lucky enough to receive the rest of the anime, and perhaps if we're lucky enough, the original manga that was created. Yawara gets a highly recommended. Now, before we get into the fan mail proper, there's a few loose uh, pieces of business to attend to. Um, at the end of the anime review for Yawara, I uh, stated that um, the Barcelona Olympics were a 1984 event. I apologize. They were actually a 1992 event, and Japan didn't take gold in women's judo. It took silver in women's judo, which I think makes the ASO Radio Review getting a highly recommended rating for Yawara all the more appropriate, since that's our silver medal for anime reviews. So I just wanted to place those two few corrections. Uh, and the other thing is, is that at the beginning of the show, I said that we were going to have two anime reviews. And while I suppose it is possible that we could put another anime review in this episode, I think that uh, between the news section going long and our Yawara review being lengthy enough, I think that we can call it good as far as uh, that segment of the show is concerned. So we'll only have one review this week for anime. Now, let's get on to the uh, fan mail. We've got uh, plenty of fan mail to catch up on. 
and uh, let's see what we have here. Uh, first, we have a press release sent out last year in October for uh, Astro Boy. Let's see what it says. Anime producer and distributor Right Stuff Incorporated and Nozomi Entertainment are pleased to announce the Astro Boy. The beginning DVD will be released on October 6, 2009. This DVD single will feature the first five episodes of the original 1963 Astro Boy series as it aired on television with an English language audio track. And let's see, based on comic, Astro Boy first modern 25 minutes show, blah, 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 blah. So, apparently they are planning on releasing Astro Boy with the original English in a number of DVD releases. So, I suppose that's good news for fans of the uh, original version and people that didn't want to buy a massively large, expensive box set. Now, as a matter of fact, the right stuff has decided uh, in recent months to go and begin releasing uh, their box sets in re-released, smaller, cheaper box sets, uh, doing away with the full-size DVD case and the larger box sets, and sometimes even with the half-size thin DVD cases in order to create fan-out uh, cases. Um, or in some cases, uh, other anime distributors, such as with the Viridian line, have decided to go and release um, some of the anime in cardboard sleeves or uh, uh, various paper boxes, and these things are done, of course, uh, for a number of reasons. The environmental impact of using smaller or less amounts of plastic um, or doing away with plastic altogether by going with uh, paper or cardboard boxes creates much less of an environmental hazard and impact. You don't have to get oil out of the ground to make the plastics. You don't have to go and uh, worry about plastic being properly recycled. And, of course, paper is easy to acquire and biodegradable. The other reason, of course, is a more pragmatic, practical approach by going and releasing sets in thinner uh, plastic cases or in cardboard cases. You are able to circumvent the costs of having expensive cases, which are larger in size. You are able to make the boxes for the box sets smaller. And as an added bonus, the cost of shipping them is less. By going and having smaller size boxes and lighter boxes, you can store many more inside of a shipping container and many more shipping containers inside of a truck or other means of transport. So, of course, things like the smaller cases or the Viridian line benefit the anime companies and benefit the fans. The only downside is sometimes these cases are made a bit haphazard and the discs don't like to stay in place because the cardboard isn't... See, I think the best approach to this is to have a slide-out sleeve that has a spine and two pages on either side, DVDs this side, DVDs on this side, and that slides into a companion case which is, has a top and a bottom. So you slide out the inner part, fold it open, get access to your DVDs, and then slide the inner part back. A lot of distributors, however, uh, both anime and non, have elected to have uh, trifold cases, where it's a sleeve on the outside, sleeve on a back, and a third sleeve from the back that goes in between the back and front. And uh, those prone to open easily and uh, can be a bit of hassle. Or, in the case of the Futurama ones, they don't even have a peg on which to push the DVD onto or pull off of, so with no restraining peg, you have to slip it behind a cardboard slit in the packaging, and I really don't like that. I guess the point is, 
right stuff is going and uh, going with these cheaper uh, box sets, uh, more economical uh, packaging, and as long as the newer thin plastic or even better cardboard cases are designed well, I'm all for it. Cheaper for us, cheaper for them, less environmental impact. Just uh, make sure you have somebody smart designing your cases so our DVDs aren't spilling onto the floor. And don't use cheap plastic. That stuff smells terrible. Next up, we have an email from Shell136, a slow fan mail. Subject, caught up. So, I was using Stumble. I'm assuming this means stumble upon. And I came upon this site and have since wasted many hours of daylight, as my father points out, to listen to all of the old episodes of ESO Radio. Now that I have caught up, I was wondering when the next episode is coming out. I should note this email was written back in November before we released our episode 125 um, in May, which was six months later. Alright, besides that, I was also thinking people's tastes change over time. As such, I was thinking that you re could, or wait, as such, I was thinking that you could re-review previous anime shows or episodes so we can see the changes reflected over the expanded time. Logically, it would be best to re-review the earlier ASO Radio episodes. I believe this writer means re-review the anime and manga we reviewed in the early episodes, as they are at a time further away from the current. And as you and all the hosts, I would assume, are good friends, they should be more than willing to give a new opinion, if it is different, on the different shows. Finally, I was wondering if there was any way to get episodes earlier than 57. Seriously, there are still 56 episodes which I need to listen to, and I am going to assume that those are where I hear Z-Guy and T-Man. Hope to hear you through a new episode, Shell 136. Well, Shell 136, on behalf of you and all of the fans out there who patiently, patiently waited for us to put out a brand new episode of ASO Radio. Um, I would like to thank you for your diligence and patience and love of the show. Concerning the contents of your email, I am always glad to get fan mail, and I am happy to hear that you spent all that time listening to our past episodes. We are proud to produce what I think is a quality show, and if I had a bigger budget and a larger staff, I'm sure we could do an even better job. But I think with what we have, we do a pretty bang-up job. Regarding going back and re-reviewing episodes, I think that that's a splendid idea. However, it does pose some uh, difficulty in doing. First of all, as you said, our tastes may have changed, but then again, to a large part, they have also stayed the same. Having experienced lots of anime, however, I'm sure I'll have different opinions on stuff from before, but then again, nostalgia will kick in and perhaps rein me in from being as harsh as I might be on shows which haven't aged so well. And, of course, there's the subject of it might be a bit boring for people to rehear the same things reviewed for a second time. Though a great idea to go back and re-review them, it might also be a bit dull for me. After all, it may have been several years since I watched some shows, but then again, it may not be worth watching again. Oh, sure, some of the Ghibli releases and some of the highest-rated anime that we've had on the show, such as the top recommendations and highly recommended shows, might be worth watching. But then again, some of them may not be, and it might be, well, a bit dull for me to have to go back and watch them. Of course, the biggest obstacle is not potential boredom, but the fact that, uh, well, our hosts have been scattered to the winds. Z-Guy, DB3, T-Man, they've all gone their separate ways. And while I do see the old ASO Radio crew on occasion, 
Well, Z guy is married, and I haven't uh, actually been able to keep contact information for him for any a decent amount of time. Oh, I get a, a phone number now and again, but he goes through so many cell phones, I'm hardly able to uh, type in the number before discovering that he's uh, changed numbers again. And, well, i got to wait until me or somebody I know runs across him again and gets a new phone number. T-Man's moved out to a different part of the country, which, while still in the same state, uh, there's a decent distance between us of three or four hours. And uh, I guess I can be the first to announce this, if it hasn't been said already. But T-Man is actually uh, engaged to a lovely young woman, and I'm sure that, uh, that his engagement and subsequent uh, marriage will probably keep him busy. And DB3, of course, much like Z-Guy, is also already married, and he's in a completely different state and just wrapped up his master's degree in uh, human resources. So I'm wishing him all the best in his future career with that. I recently actually contacted DB3 to see if he would be interested in doing ASO radio episodes through something like Skype, and though he showed interest in doing that, uh, he never wrote back after the first time, so who knows with that guy. Anyways, T-Man, Z-Guy, DB3, and all the other fun hosts I've had over the years were a delight to have on the show for the most part, and I'd certainly like to get the three main others back on, um, but uh, to be honest, between you, me, and everyone listening... T-Man, Z-Guy, and DB3 are terrible at keeping in contact. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I'm always seeking them out, and I hardly hear back from them when I do. But, nonetheless, I would love to go and see if maybe we can go and re-review some shows for you, compare them to our previous opinions, get the old guys back on, and all that sounds like a pretty good time. And uh, last but not least, concerning listening to the earlier episodes, the pre-revamp, the before 2003 episodes, those from 1999, 2000, and 2001. Well, as a matter of fact, I've been sitting on that for a little while. I'm actually planning and hoping to convert the old episodes from their real media, real audio format, which the show was originally recorded in, to MP3 and Og Vorbis to place on the site. Of course, since I don't have the original source material for those episodes anymore, as hard drive sizes were small and expensive back then, the uh, re-encoded episodes will not sound any better than they originally did. However, I'm sure there's a lot more people out there that can play Og Vorbis and MP3 than there are people out there who can play real audio. And I've never been too big of a fan of real audio, but at the time it was the only practical way to get the show out to everybody in listener land. So, Shell 136, thanks for writing in to ASO Radio. Let's see, we're about uh, 12 minutes or so into the fan mail section, so I'm going to read two more fan mail, and uh, we'll save the rest of the fan mail for a future episode. I actually got uh, three copies of the same fan mail sent in, and I'm just going to make sure that uh, it's the same exact one instead of uh, maybe something changing at the end. And since it appears that they are indeed all the same, I recommend that the writer not be so impatient when clicking on the submit button to get the uh, email to us. Anyways, this next one is from Lava Monkey, subject Turtles Forever. Hey, NZ17, so that must be one massive internet problem in your area. I mean, four month long internet downage? That has got to hurt. I guess you really are in Hicksville, USA. This, of course, is referring to a message I posted on the website saying that episode 125 uh, was delayed due to an internet outage, which was actually true at the time. 
the internet outage only lasted a day or so, but then of course life jumped up in my face and kept throwing obstacles in the way and eventually the episode just went by the sideline and never got recorded. Sad but true. Moving on. I know that this isn't really anime, but I came across the TV movie Turtles Forever, and as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was wondering what your take is on it. I mean, mixing the old-school Ninja Turtles with the new, I've got to say that it was a pretty good idea. Just wondering what you thought. Hope your internet gets up soon. Lava Monkey. P.S. I hope you were also able to contact the other hosts about possibly getting some updated opinions on their reviews. P.P.S. You know, I just realized that if the internet is down for you, this message may not even make it to you. This is sort of a downer. Oh, well, here's hoping. Well, besides the fact that um, a lava monkey is probably Shell 136, I'm more than glad to go and uh, address the contents of this email. Um, first of all, thank you for your funny comment in regards to our extended internet downtime. Uh, second of all, I did not see Turtles Forever, and uh, ASO Radio I tried to keep purely focused on um, Japanese media, and uh, even if something tends to be inspired by uh, Japan's popular media, in general I don't really review it on here, whether that's an original English version of something, or a Korean version of something, or maybe even China, Hong Kong, or wherever, um, I tend to try to keep this show purely focused on what the Japanese produce generally in for a Japanese audience, but sometimes if it's for some sort of American-Japan joint release of anime or what have you. Anyways, I haven't seen Turtles Forever, but mixing up the 80s and 90s versions of the Turtles with uh, the modern versions sounds like an interesting mix-up, and I'm glad that you brought it to the uh, attention of the listeners in the audience in case any of them might be interested in such a thing. And uh, don't worry, your email did get through. Alright, well, we're going to skip some of these older emails and read those on the next episode of ASO Radio. At this moment, of course, I'd like to go and remind everyone that you can feel free to send in uh, fan mail to our show. Just visit the ASO Radio website at www.nz17.com slash ASO Radio and click on the fan mail link found on the left-hand column or in the lower part of the middle of the page. And uh, send us your thoughts on ASO Radio, our new episodes, our past, or anything else you might be thinking in regards to the world of Japanese pop culture, anime, and manga. With that in mind, I received just before uh, beginning to prepare for this broadcast an email from Peter, a uh, ASO Radio fan who, until now, I believe I have not heard from. Peter writes uh, with no uh, given subject, but he writes, NZ17, I really enjoy your podcast here in Denmark and have been a fan for about three years. So I just want to say thanks for making the best anime podcast on the net. Best regards, Peter. Well, Peter, my friend from Copenhagen, the listener from across the lake and living in Denmark, I have to say thank you for listening to the show. And I appreciate you putting up with our schedule over the past three years. We're not the most diligent in putting out episodes, uh, especially over that period of time. And Well, unlike the old days where we got an episode out every week, it just hasn't been that way. So I appreciate your patience and sticking with us even during those blackout periods where there were no new episodes going up. So I want to say thank you for listening to our podcast 
and for calling it the best anime podcast on the net. That really did help to make my day today. I was about this close to actually not even recording an episode, but then Peter went and sent this mail and really brightened my day and turned things around, and that's why episode 126 is now available for everybody's listening pleasure. Before we get on to the hot spot section of the show, I would like to go and mention that we have posted a new poll on the ASA Radio website. The poll is asking about how you acquire your anime fix, and it has a number of options available. And for everyone's entertainment, I am going to go ahead and let you know how the poll is currently doing. Of course, if you visit nz17.com slash Radio, you yourself can vote in the poll. And we're always interested in what our fans have to say and in their opinions. So, here's our poll. How do you most often acquire your anime? By buying Blu-ray and DVD? By renting Blu-ray or DVD? Borrowing from friends? Borrowing from the library? Regular broadcast television? Pay-per-view television? Rent through the mail like with Netflix? Online streaming through ad-supported ways like Hulu and YouTube, online streaming through membership-supported ways like the Anime Network, or digital download pay-to-own. Right now, we have a three-way tie between rent-through-mail, such as Netflix or Green Scene, the online streaming with ad-supported, or the online streaming with membership-supported. So if you'd like to help break this three-way tie, head to the ASO Radio website. And while there, be sure to check out the new artwork that we have posted of Bandy in our Artist Alley. We actually have two very nice pieces of artwork posted. One is done in the style of the Sonic Riders video games with a sporty Bandy airboarding style artwork and also a more detailed version of uh, Bandy, both done by the same artist, Doug Botolt, also known as Tracker, and deviant art that is and i think that uh, everyone should go and check out this fabulous new art on our artist alley you can either go to nz17.com and locate the artist alley on the main page or go to aso radio and click on the nice little graphic thumbnail that we've provided either way i hope that you uh out there in listener land feel free to uh, vote on our poll check out our new art just for you and yours and send in a fan mail if you've got something to say we're always listening and more than happy to get the encouragement. Boy, you know that Miracle Girl song from Yawara that we played at the beginning of that review still is circulating through my head. Ah, what a great song. One of the highlights of the series. A lot of times when I watch an anime... I'll uh, watch the opening and closing just to see whether they're any good, and then from that point, generally, I just skip over those things while finishing the rest of my reviews for them. Uh, but in the case of Yawara, in the case of Yawara, I sure did watch that practically every time. But this is the hotspot section of ASO Radio, and we're going to do a video game review, and this time our review is going to be of a title which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, which was, of course, released for the Nintendo DS. A 3D third-person action game for the Nintendo DS in the vein of Kingdom Hearts. Why, that's preposterous. Impossible to pull off, I hear some people proclaim. And sadly, yes, but not for the reasons you'd suspect. 
As a matter of fact, the fighting system, the battle system for the game, is quite brilliantly executed. And while the Nintendo DS, of course, is limited by its processor speed, memory size, and graphical abilities, it is actually quite a contender as far as the action bits of this game go. And from what I understand, though I have not played the other Kingdom Hearts games, the control is more or less a transplant from the console versions and mapped out quite well. Use a combination of the uh, D-pad, the shoulder buttons, the touchscreen, and the um, buttons on the uh, system itself to actually control, and believe it or not, it works out quite well. Uh, half of the controls are for the camera, while the other half is for the action on screen. And while it can be a bit cumbersome in order to go and use the magic items and other potions, uh, the game actually provides two different uh, systems for doing so. Uh, while going and using these is not as fluid and easy as it would be on, say, a full PlayStation 2 controller, the rest of it has mapped quite well to the Nintendo DS, and once you learn the control scheme, is quite simple and easy to pull off, even in the middle of what looks like an epic battle among several Heartless that have surrounded the main character. Heartless, of course, being the enemy in the Kingdom Hearts series. However, while it looks very impressive, after all, the game uses full 3D polygons for just about everything, and uses textures where they look good, and uses uh, plain or gradient uh, colors for where that would work out better. The game itself, um, well, it actually gets kind of boring. But we'll get that in a minute. As far as graphics go, I thought that Square Enix was quite clever in the development of this game as they put the most polygons in the faces of the characters and less polygons in their um, bodies. And this works out quite well because, as humans, we look to the faces for most of our signals with communication. Of course, there's hearing what people say, but you also need to look at their face in order to understand sometimes the more subtle meanings behind what they are saying. And so the trick of using more polygons in the faces by sacrificing polygons in the bodies of the um, characters was actually, I thought, a brilliant way to balance the total number of polygons available per second that the Nintendo DS can process. Uh, nonetheless, however, the animations are very nice. While the hands, arms, and legs have had a reduced polygon count, the high quality of the animation movements uh, makes up for that. So we have some sort of great fluid dynamic going on where um, the low polygon movements are supplanted by the smooth movements of the animations. Very careful, attentive detail has been put in, so instead of just having a generic jump, 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 attack, attack animation, um, the combo system that the game uses for its uh, various attacks, distance, close, magic, uh, they all flow very well from one into the other as you're fighting. And the air combos are quite nice. As the game progresses, you'll be able to chain more combos, uh, lengthier combos together, and also throw in some other attacks while in the middle of things. Uh, throughout the game, you are usually partnered with a secondary character who will help back you up in battle. It's essential that both characters survive the battles uh, because while 
the secondary character has a very intelligent tracking system so that it can follow around the main character and if stuck just uses the teleportation ability of the characters to get over obstacles. Say if you did a U-turn around a bend and now your uh, AI controlled secondary character is stuck behind the slope and doesn't realize to go down to the end of the path and loop down as you did. Instead, once you get far enough away, the secondary character will simply teleport to your location. Very nice, but you must keep an eye on the health of both you and the secondary character, because if the health runs out, then it's game over and you need to go and repeat the mission. Uh, it actually kind of works out because a lot of the secondary characters have uh, magic, which will allow them to cast healing uh, seemingly an unlimited number of times, though generally it's just a high number of times that they're limited to. And if you're within the area of effect, then you get healed too. But it's important to make sure that your health doesn't get too low and that you remember to balance out your secondary character's healing with your own so that neither him or her or you end up dying. However, in Kingdom Hearts, death is not much of a setback. If you die in the game, you just elect to start the mission over, and you will oftentimes not have to do all that much to go and get to where you had already been before you died. There's no penalty for dying other than having to start over, um, in the sense that you start on the same mission and you have an unlimited number of tries to get through. If you're having a difficult time, uh, the game suggests that you merely give up on the uh, non-necessary missions and come back at a later time when your character is more powerful through leveling up or acquiring uh, stronger weapons. And that actually works out pretty well. Um, while uh, there are definitely missions in the game which are required to uh, continue, they are not all necessary for the advancement of the storyline. And so several side missions and optional missions can be just ignored while you go and just fill out what's necessary. Which uh, is nice and all because, well, how to put this delicately. If you don't like repetition, you aren't going to like this game. Um, I started off as a completist going and completing all of the Kingdom Hearts missions in Kingdom Hearts 356 over two days, or 358 over two days. Um, but I quickly realized that, dang, this is some slow going. As a matter of fact, there are several worlds introduced in this game. Some are from the previous entries with, I think, one or two new ones. Um, but they introduce these new worlds at a very slow pace. Uh, you start off in um, in this castle, and then you end up going into Twilight Town, which is where most of the first few missions take place. Then eventually you end up going to Agrabah and Beast's Castle from Beauty and the Beast, as well as several other locales. But the rate at which new places are introduced is very slow. I mean, they're, they're definitely getting their mileage out of each of these areas, and it's not as though there is a lot to each area. If I had to think about it, um, with the Aladdin stages, there is three parts to the city of Agrabah, unless eventually you can get to the castle. I didn't play far enough to find out if you ever did. But there's three parts to the city of Agrabah, and then there's the Cave of Secrets. There's the front part, an inner part, second part, third part. So yeah, I would say that there's probably, uh, even if you count all the sections you eventually get to, in Aladdin's area, there's less than 10 total areas to explore. And so to stretch out their resources, you end up exploring the same places over and over again. Oh, sure, it might be a mission to collect items, or you have to follow somebody 
or you have to not be seen while you're going out on your mission, or you have to defeat a bunch of Heartless, or some other mission. But they keep sending you the same area over and over again with just slightly different mission objectives to use as an excuse to send you back. So I would suggest, for the person that plays this game and hasn't already uh, gone into it far enough, that you do not bother to go and complete all of the missions. It would be much better to skip everything that's optional, or else you're going to get quite bored. And if you get to the end of the game and you wish there was more to the game, then you'll be in luck because there's tons of missions you can go back and do. Because of its pick which missions you want to go on structure, you know, obviously there's required ones, but because of the ability to mainly pick what you want to do and to be able to do almost all of them in whatever order you want based upon what's currently available, you can just go back at the end of the game or any time and complete earlier available missions. And so you might want to wait until you have a powerful secondary character backing you up in this action RPG before bothering to go back or until you're really beefy towards the end of the game, at which point it would make plenty of sense to go back. And speaking of reusing things over and over again, Pretty much all of the music in this game has been reused from the previous Kingdom Hearts games. And while I didn't play the previous Kingdom Hearts games and went into this uh, as someone who wished that he had played the previous Kingdom Hearts games, I can tell you that even if they had made brand new music for this game, that they reused the same music so many times that it makes you want to go and scream. Um, I mean, it, there's lots of music, don't get me wrong. Um, but with each area only having maybe three songs to it, and uh, you constantly going back to those areas, you're hearing the same music a lot. And I mean a lot. Well, the appeal of the Kingdom Hearts series, while it does have some appeal in its heroes and villains that are specific to the series, the main drawing power, of course, is the characters from other worlds that show up. The characters from the Disney franchises and the characters from the Final Fantasy series. So, which characters do you get from the Disney series? Well, there's quite a few. As I mentioned before, you have characters from the Aladdin world and from the uh, Beauty and the Beast world. Uh, you have Mickey Mouse. Um, you actually have uh, a number of characters, including some that show up from worlds that aren't actually worlds that you explore in the game, such as uh, Pete, a continuous villain in the Disney uh, world. And what about the Final Fantasy side? What characters do you get from there? None. Absolutely none. You won't be seeing anybody from recent entries in the series. You won't be seeing anybody from the classic 32-bit days of Final Fantasy 7, 8, or 9. You won't even see characters from other Nintendo DS releases, such as Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, or even the uh, Game Boy Advance releases of 5 and 6. No, as a matter of fact, you see no Final Fantasy characters in this game at all. And I have to say, as a person who purchased this game exclusively because, besides, of course, the fact that he heard Kingdom Hearts were good action RPGs, I bought this game because I heard there were Final Fantasy characters in it. I was looking forward to seeing Cloud, or seeing Eris, or fighting some of the villains from the series, or seeing some characters that showed up in, like, Final Fantasy IX that I'd forgotten all about and then rediscovered by playing this, or maybe some of the fun new characters in the PlayStation 2 games or something. But oh no, Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days has no Final Fantasy characters at all. 
oh, sure, there's a Moogle that shows up to sell you things, but that doesn't really count for much. And, oh, yeah, a lot of the items that you use in the game are from Final Fantasy things like Phoenix Downs and potions and such. But who cares if the main draw of the series isn't here? Ugh. Shameful. Shameful, 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 shameful. Well, if you don't mind, however, the uh, continuous reusage of locales and music, the game does provide lots and lots of hours of play. I played this for quite amount of time, uh, well over 10 hours, and I had only seen about uh, three or four of the worlds, if, uh, if you don't count the kingdom of um, the Twilight Town area and the castle that acts as the hub world, um, I would say I got to see about three different worlds in about uh, 10 to 20 hours of play. And from what I hear, there's at least double that number in this game. But through just constantly having to go to the same areas, I was just not able to finish the game. I know on ASO Radio we tend to have a policy of finishing the whole game before we actually bother to review it. But in the case of Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, it was just so much of the same. Now, sure, you think to yourself, well, it's an action RPG. The battles have to be awesome sort of melee fun and excitement, right? Well, I mentioned earlier that there's a bit of a problem with the magic and item system. Uh, there's two different ways to control it, but it's really hard to go and use them in the heat of battle. It can be done if you get your full attention to it to pull it off quickly, but I think the best tactic would be if you need to use uh, magic like uh, ice or fire attacks, Leave that up to either the secondary character if they have it, or if they don't, distance yourself from the main battle while the secondary character is engaged in order to use a potion or your magic, or if you can, run off and get away from the enemies and heal up before returning, because using the items in battle is just much too difficult. But even the battle itself is a bit bland. Sure, you've got crazy aerial combat going on as you jump and double jump in the air, swinging your sword laterally and vertically as you go and lash at the enemies with your keyblade weapon. But you're not really doing anything to make it happen. Oh, sure, you jump into the air or you might do a dash, um, but all you're really doing is hitting the A button. Uh, I, I mean, there's a little bit of timing to it, I guess, but it's not really that harsh on, oh, you're hitting it too hard or, or too rapidly or too slowly. It's just, you know, jump up, do an aerial attack on the enemies that are in the air, stay on the ground, do a series of attacks on the air by constantly hitting the attack button, or, you know, start attacking them in the air, hit them down onto the ground and attack them there, or hit them on the ground, hit them up in the air and keep going there. It's just, you know, approach, find an opening, which is pretty easy, and then attack, attack, attack. If an enemy is explosive or sets fire, get your distance so you're not hit by that magic, go back in, swing your keyblade a few more times. And so it's just, yeah, it's action, but you're not having to use any skill. It's not like you're playing, say, Tekken or Street Fighter or something where you have to memorize combos in order to pull off special moves. Um, it, it, there's nothing like that to it, really. Advancement really all just depends on battling lots of enemies to gain enough experience points in order to make your character better and applying uh, slots in the badge system or wherever it is where you buy items and then your character is able to equip more of these badges in order to go and give him new magic attacks or let him chain his combo longer or whatever. So you're really just fighting a lot of enemies to level up and hoping that you find some good items to plug into the slots on your character so that they have new abilities. It's, as far as skill goes, 
you, you need to dodge and you need to know how to get in to attack the enemy, but there's nothing really to it once you're actually in there. Oh, sure, it looks impressive as they're jumping and flipping, but it's just A-A-A-A as you hit that button. Oh, well. In the end, I wasn't able to go and complete this game. Other more interesting games presented themselves, and this game was just more of the same over and over. And once I found out there wasn't going to be any Final Fantasy characters, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back for this reviewer. If you're a big fan of the Disney characters and you don't mind repetition, or you need something to play on the go which you can easily pick up, play, and uh, pause or save and resume at a later point, the game does provide a generous way of uh, saving and uh, resuming the game, there's really no reason to pick up this. I had heard from other people that Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days was just a unnecessary chapter, that all we needed was Kingdom Hearts 1, Kingdom Hearts 2, and then the upcoming Kingdom Hearts 3, and that the Game Boy Advance game, uh, Chain of Memories is it called? Eh. That the Game Boy Advance game and this Nintendo DS game were merely side story cash-ins that had no real value or benefit to the whole, except for explaining a few plot points which were really minor and not that important in the first place. However, like I said, if you really like the Disney characters, if you want a nice 3D action RPG that looks good and has a good control scheme to play on the go, or of course if you were really fond of the villains of uh, Kingdom Hearts, since of course this game is all about the villains and their story, or rather I should say all the villains and their side of the story, then this is a great game to pick up. As for me, uh, I was hoping for so much more for it. The sweeping music and the great animations that you see. I don't know. Something was just missing playing as the nobody side of this story, as these people are called. <sighs> oh well. Heartless, nobodies, Disney character, Final Fantasy characters. It just. The elements were there, but it just didn't come together. And so I'm going to go and give Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days for the Nintendo DS a rating of neutral. We are at the end of another stunning episode of ASO Radio, episode 126. I thank everybody for listening and for enjoying the show, of course, and I hope that you look forward to next week's episode of ASO Radio. Next week, I'm thinking that we'll be bringing you another video game review, though I may change my mind in the meantime to bring you a manga review. I'll have to look at the backlog of things that I have yet to uh, discuss on the show before I can decide. However, I'm believing that we will have at least one anime review, hoping to make it two. Um, I'm thinking next week we should have two anime reviews uh, that are not so long, and so it'll take the same amount of time, but uh, you'll get twice as many anime reviewed. And um, I have started to watch a new anime series, new to me anyways, called Black Blood Brothers. It's a vampire story, kind of fun. Uh, it's action, but lighthearted, and has uh, some good comedic moments and uh, likable characters to it. Only seen episode one so far, but if uh, what I've seen is any indicator, I'm going to be finishing the first DVD of that pretty soon, so be sure to look forward to us reviewing that on ASO Radio as well. So there you go. Next week, video game review, two anime reviews, of course the latest and worthwhile news from the anime and manga world, and we look forward to having you join us here. 
Before I go, I'd like to request that everybody who's so inclined check out the ASO Radio website at nz17.com slash Radio, where you can find our fan mail section to let us know what you think of the show and where you, of course, can make requests for changes or perhaps things you'd like us to review. There's, of course, the poll where you can let us know in our current poll how you prefer to go and get your anime. Feel free to vote there and tell your friends to vote, too. Uh, we'll be probably running that poll for the rest of May. It all depends on uh, how many votes we get. And, um, yeah, I suppose that's all there really is to say. Stop by the NZ17 Productions website at nz17.com if you'd like to check out that new bandy artwork, which I am quite proud of. We actually commissioned that last year, and uh, I decided now was a good time to post it on the site. And while you're on the site, don't forget to check out Anafanaticu, uh, Asa Radio's sister site, where you can find our very own Warp Shadows review of the Yawara anime, A Fashionable Judo Girl, which we reviewed earlier in the show, as well as numerous other reviews he's recently done, and his exclusive coverage of SakuraCon, the Northwest's anime convention that happens in Washington State. So on behalf of Link1986, our Macrobo V-Man, Warp Shadow from Anafanatiku, and of course, ASO Radio hosts from the past, such as T-Man, Z-Guy, DB3, and all the rest. This is NZ17 for ASO Radio, signing out. <laughs>